I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello, I'm Sandy Toxvig, and this is We Will Get Past This, where I welcome you into my calm room of books so I can share tales from history of various deeds. Some brave, some baffling, others downright idiotic, in a bid to comfort the soul in this challenging time we find ourselves in. Some of these were recorded with specific dates in mind, but as we've all come to realise, none of that kind of thing really matters. My diary's wide open. There are no rules about when something can be enjoyed, so take a moment to relax and remember this. We will get past this. Hello there, come on in, take a seat. It's the birthday of someone remembered as a proper wrong'un. So what's not to look forward to? Lucrezia Borgia, why her very name suggests a television drama with a lot of blood, dim lighting and Jeremy Irons being, well, the same as he was when he played Scar in Lion King, but this time in a red hat. Uh, Lucrezia was born today, April the 18th in 1480. Her dad was Pope which doesn't feel quite right. I mean, I thought popes weren't supposed to have kids, which led me to discover my most niche Wikipedia page so far, which is entitled List of Sexually Active Popes. Not only have popes been getting it away for centuries, someone who I'm going to guess has been getting no sex at all and therefore had time was interested enough to make a list. Then I realised what a fool I've been. Of course, popes have been having sex. I mean, the Bible is chock full of all sorts of mentions about the wife of St. Peter, who was Pope number one. Uh, There's even an early mention of mother-in-laws. In the Gospel of Matthew, the story is told, when Jesus came into Peter's house, he saw Peter's mother-in-law lying in bed with a fever. He touched her hand and the fever left her. And she got up and began to wait on him. Wait on him? I mean, this seems a little quick for someone who's just been ill. Didn't she have a country house where she could go and lie down for a bit? Walk the dog? I digress. Lucrezia was the daughter of the Pope. It was the 15th century. The Dark Ages were only just over and everybody was so glad that they overlooked a few papal affairs. Her dad, Pope Alexander VI, had at least seven, if not ten, kids. Well, you know how it is when you see yourself as an important man. It's easy to lose count of that kind of thing. Lucrezia was well-educated, speaking several languages, studying literature, philosophy, history and so on, so that one day she could keep up dinner party conversation with a suitable husband. She could also play the lute, which is a skill I am planning to take up online. Pope Dad spent a lot of time arranging and cancelling marriages for his daughter as he tried to figure out which son-in-law would prove the most useful. I guess he wanted somebody like Trump's son-in-law, Jared Kushner, who apparently is going to bring peace to the Middle East 
as soon as he stops telling doctors what they do and don't need. Pope Alexander chose husbands for his daughter based on what might be useful to the family rather than to her. It tells you something about her life, that she was already on to husband number two by the time she was just 18. Two years later, number two was strangled in bed, which puts a dampener on any relationship, so to cheer her up, the family started hunting for husband number three. He was Alfonso d'Est, Duke of Ferrara. This marriage seems to have gone well. They had eight kids and everybody in Ferrara liked Lucrezia. I mean, it wasn't a conventional marriage. She did also sleep with her brother-in-law. Very sadly, she died following complications in childbirth aged just 39. And the many enemies of the Borgias were quick to smear her name with allegations of lust, incense, incense, incest and murder, although there is no proof of any of it. Uh, what nobody mentions is she was really good at admin. Hmm. She took care of all her husband's paperwork. He was a duke. I mean, there must have been a lot. I'm not kidding. She was in charge of the city of Ferrara's governance. But mention her name and no one mentions her eye for detail in correspondence and filing. There has been a penchant lately for using the phrase badass when we try and think of any woman from history who is worth registering. I put my hand up and say, I don't really like this. It's some new criteria by which well-behaved women are way less likely to make lists of past greatness than ones who were notorious. Simply doing a great job will not cut it, and consequently so many splendid females are overlooked. Just as women are more likely to get a painting of themselves into a museum if they have their kit off, then the ideal way into the history books is to be a femme fatale. History is littered with women whose beauty seemed somehow threatening, and has left them recalled simply as sirens who seduced poor innocent men into some deadly trap. These are bad women who, who like to have sex on top, and you find them in the earliest of stories. Now take Adam and Eve, our theoretical first couple. Love and apples, a life in isolation in paradise. I mean, who doesn't want that at the moment? This rather overlooks Adam's first wife. Hmm, first wife, often overlooked. If you haven't heard, I hate to shock you, but before Eve, Adam was married to Lilith, whose story appears in one of the apocryphal books of the Bible. That's a tongue twister. Adam moved on from Lilith because she is said to have refused God's instruction to let men dominate. Sounds like my kind of girl. Uh, but it didn't go well for her. She was banished from the Garden of Eden, and poor Adam had to look around for someone else. No one was available, so he made his next wife out of a spare rib. I am praising here. Uh, the nearest I ever got to being a femme fatale is I was once in a very serious car accident, but I like the whole notion of a woman being so stupendously seductive that she can change the world. I suppose the greatest seductress in history has to be Cleopatra. Oh, she was a one with her sultry looks and too much black eyeliner. Elizabeth Taylor on heat for Richard Burton. The problem with this is that we have no idea what she actually looked like, and pretty much everything written about her was jotted down centuries after she had crossed the Great River into the afterlife. What do we know about her? Well, she was the last ruler of the Ptolemaic dynasty, Queen of Egypt from 51 BC to 30 BC. What else? Well, first of all, she was actually Cleopatra VII. Why no one bangs on about the other six, I have no idea. It's a bit like that drink, 7-Up. I mean, there may well have been six versions of the beverage during its development, but no one discusses it. Was Cleopatra beautiful? Well, who knows? 
All we have of her likenesses are uh, side portraits in stone or on coins, uh, where, frankly, nobody really looks at their best. I'm going to guess if you're Queen of Egypt, no one is going to tell you that your ass looks big in that carving. The main thing to know about her is that she wasn't Egyptian. Her family came from Macedonian Greece. Ptolemy I, who kicked off the dynasty, was one of Alexander the Great's generals. Everybody in Cleo's family spoke Greek. In fact, she was the very first Egyptian ruler in three centuries of her family's rule to bother learning any of the local language at all. But temptress, right? Mark Antony, Julius Caesar, I mean, these were not guys whose heads could be easily turned. Well, we do have to remember that these were Roman bigwigs and their own historians needed to find a reason for their frankly foolish behaviour. Did she blind them with sexual temptation? We'll never know. Maybe they just liked her conversation. The bit that mostly gets left out is how bloody clever she was. She was a ruler who Egyptian scribes declared elevated the ranks of scholars and enjoyed their company. She spoke many languages, maybe as many as 12, and was well-educated in mathematics, philosophy, astronomy. I'm not saying she didn't have a hand in the killing of three of her siblings or marry her own brother, but, you know, that was practically a family tradition. This was a woman leader who led her own naval fleet into battle. Oh, and a woman who knew how to make an entrance. Summoned to meet Mark Antony in Tarsus, she is said to have arrived on a golden barge adorned with purple sails and rowed by oars made of silver. Dressed in the robes of the goddess Aphrodite, she knew exactly what she was doing. This was the way to gain power in both Rome and Egypt. She also sounds like fun. Uh, Antony became her ally and her lover, and together they formed their own drinking club known as the Inimitable Livers. A reference, I think, to grabbing life to the full and not to the damage drinking does to one's organs. She was smart. She was sassy. She very nearly managed to create an Eastern Empire to rival the increasing might of Rome. And had she done so, well, we might all spend less time talking about popes. Here's to you, Cleo. Take care. Be kind. Remember, we will get past this. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.